Chapter Fifteen of Mystery at Number Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elliot Miller. The Mystery at Number Six by Augusta Hewell Seaman. Chapter Fifteen. Jerry Sawgrass is cornered. Bernice saw her at the same time and poked Sidney violently in the back to attract his attention. "'I see. Wait a moment. We must think how it's best to approach her,' he whispered. After a conference with Mr. Treadwell, it was decided that Bernice herself had better get out of the car and speak to the woman and invite her to go on to Arcadia in Mr. Treadwell's own conveyance. "'Mustn't alarm her,' warned Mr. Treadwell. "'Must have her think we have come this way and stumbled on the accident quite by chance.' that we're surprised to find her here and only too delighted to be of service to her. She'd better sit beside me here in the front of the car and let Sidney go in the back till we reach Arcadia. Bernice was a little shy about accepting the mission, but Sidney helped her out of the car, explaining to Mrs. Conan at the same time that they had just seen someone they knew among the passengers and were going to offer to help her out. "'Why, how do you do?' cried Bernice, approaching the woman, who had been looking the other way and holding out her hand. "'How unfortunate this accident was. I hope you weren't hurt.' The woman gazed at her a moment without recognizing her. Then her face broadened in a grin of recognition, and she cried, "'Hey!' "'Can't we help you out?' went on Bernice. "'We're going on in this direction in Mr. Treadwell's car, and we'll gladly put you down wherever you want to go.' Jerry's wife gazed at her uncomprehendingly a moment and then the situation seemed to dawn upon her. "'Well, thank ye. I was set to go to Arcadia when that there bus went over. I'm that shook up. I had to crawl out the back on my hands and knees. I reckon there's no telling where the other bus will come along, and I gotta catch the one from Arcadia to Punta Gorda. Sure, I'll be right glad to go on with y'all.' She got heavily to her feet and followed Bernice back to the car. When she had reached it, Sidney shook hands with her cordially, and introduced her to the other occupants of the car. Then he helped her in beside Mr. Treadwell. Quite overwhelmed by this unwanted hospitality, she beamed impartially upon them all, while Sidney, leaning forward from the rear seat, plied her with polite questions. "'Well, how's everything out at number six since we saw you last?' he inquired heartily. A perceptible change came over her face as she replied cautiously, "'Pretty well, I reckon.' We don't live thar no more. Oh, so you moved. Hope you found as pleasant a place for your new home. Suppose you left the others thar? As her only acknowledgment of this question was a determined and ominous silence, Sidney hastened to change the subject and asked her how the accident to the bus happened. This drew from her a voluble account and occupied the rest of the time till they drew up the bus stand in Arcadia. When Sidney had helped her out, she bade them all a friendly good-bye and thanked everybody impartially for the kindness in transporting her to their destination so quickly. Then she disappeared into a nearby confectionery store, where she indicated she would sit and wait for the next bus. Sidney and Bernice gazed at each other in rather a panic, thinking this a dreadful anticlimax to all their hopes and the exciting chase. But Mr. Treadwell, finding himself conveniently out of tobacco, remarked that he'd better get out and stock up at this place where they seemed to have a supply, as there was no telling when he might be able to find more, 
and of the right kind, in the course of their journey. Accordingly, he too left the car and disappeared into the shop. He was gone a very long time. So long it was that Mrs. Conant became quite uneasy and suggested that Sidney go and hunt him up. But the two young people, realizing only too well his mission and loath to interfere with it in any way, disclaimed any uneasiness about him, and tried to divert her by giving her a conservative account of how it happened that they had been acquainted with Jerry's wife. Presently Mr. Treadwell came out. He excused himself for the long delay by saying he had met someone he knew in the store who kept him talking overtime. But there was a distinctly satisfied gleam in his eye, and the two cousins felt rather certain that his unacknowledged mission had been successful. To the great astonishment of everyone, however, he turned round to those on the rear seat and proposed a surprising change of plans. I find on inquiry that someone I have been wanting to see on the matter of business is in this vicinity, and that therefore it would be wise to put up in this town for the night, instead of going on as far as Punta Gorda or Fort Myers as we planned. There's a fair hotel here, I believe. Would it disappoint you folks very much to remain over? Mrs. Conan comfortably expressed herself as delighted to remain, for the region was all new and interesting to her and the two cousins were naturally nothing loath, scenting, as they did, some still undisclosed development. While they were preparing to depart in search of their hotel, the Fort Myers bus arrived and left, carrying with it the Cracker woman, who waved farewell to them cordially. Both, however, thought they saw a look of understanding pass between her and Mr. Treadwell before the bus rolled away. It was not till that night after supper when Mrs. Conan had retired early with a headache and Mr. Treadwell had proposed to them a stroll about the moonlit town, that they learned the true inwardness of his long absence in the store that afternoon. "'Of course you are wild to hear the result of my interview with our cracker friend,' began Mr. Treadwell, "'so I won't keep you in suspense another moment. After I had bought my cigars I walked over to where Mrs. Jerry was sitting by a small table, the only one there happened to be in the place.' and asked her if she was not rather thirsty and tired after unfortunate experience, and would she allow me to order her some soda or ice cream. Said I was going to have a glass of ginger ale myself. She accepted with some slight show of reluctance. I think she rather suspected by then I had something up my sleeve, so to speak. However, I talked about impersonal subjects till she was well along with her dish of ice cream. Then suddenly I looked her right in the eye and quietly demanded, why did you leave Jerry and the child, Mrs. Simpson, and where are they now? The unexpectedness of the attack took her completely off her guard. I ain't left him. I'm going back. That is, I mean... She floundered and corrected herself and grew red and looked down to avoid meeting my eye. Then, you ain't got no right to ask me questions anyhow, she flared out. I've got the best right in the world, Mrs. Simpson, I answered her quietly and it would pay you to tell me at once and truthfully just where you left the other two. With this, I very unobtrusively laid several ten-dollar bills on the table and put my hand over them. I strongly suspected she had a mercenary streak, and I wasn't thinking. Although I'll say this for her, she isn't wholly mercenary, however. The sight of the money aroused her avarice, but she was still loyal to Jerry. He ain't done nothing wrong, she said defiantly, eyeing the bills all the time. 
I don't know what you want him for, but he ain't done nothing wrong, and I ain't going to give way on him. Madam, I replied, you mistake me, I'm afraid. I hadn't anything against Mr. Simpson. I don't want to get him into any trouble. I don't know anything about him, in fact. I only want to have a talk with him about this child, this young girl, Dell as you call her. There are some legal reasons why I must know who she is and how she came to be in his care. I thought it wise to be perfectly frank with her, and in the end it proved the best line to have taken. She suddenly collapsed in her chair and looked at me with a hunted expression. "'There it is,' she gasped. "'It meets me at every turn. That Dell's a cause all this troubles, and his queerness, too. It's on account of her he's run away. He told me that much, though he won't tell me no more. I ain't got nothing again, the child. She's a nice enough little thing, but she certainly do make him queer.' If he wasn't that sick, he can't move hand nor foot. We'd be down in the glades this minute, all on account of her. Oh, then he's ill, I exclaimed. That certainly is too bad. Yes, he's that sick he had to lay up at a little shack down between here and Punta Gorda, she rambled on, rather forgetting for the moment. I imagined that I was to be considered in the light of an enemy. Truth to tell, I think she was glad to have someone to talk to and pour out her grievances to. I've been up to Barrow a day trying to get him the medicine he wanted. They didn't have it at Arcadia. He don't know I went so far. He'll be wondering, but I got the stuff. I suddenly decided to parlay no longer with her, but come to a decided point. So I said, Look here, Miss Simpson. We might as well as understand each other. The money is yours, providing you'll give me the information I want. It isn't a bribe. It's just honest pay for honest assistance. There'll be more for you later when we've settled matters satisfactorily. I mean no harm to Jerry, nor to the child either, nothing but good, as I think you'll find in the end. Tell me exactly where I can find the house you're staying at. Is it possible to reach it by automobile? I will get there tomorrow, and perhaps I can be of some assistance. She hesitated a full moment, but my friendly attitude plus the crackling bills won the day. It's a little old farmhouse down between Noctean Hill, she capitulated. You have to turn off at a crossroad where there's an orange grove at one corner and right across it, Pine Stretch. You go to the left through the Pine Stretch. It ain't a very good road. About a mile in on the right-hand side is a little old house. You know it by four banana trees planted in front. An old woman lives there all alone. She took us in two or three days ago, cause Jerry was that sick he couldn't go no further, and we've been there at right on since. I thanked her for the information, said I'd be there tomorrow morning, and that she need not mention our conversation to Jerry, as it might only worry him needlessly. She was only too ready to comply with this, I could see, and so, with this understanding, I left her, and I imagine our quest will end sooner than we expected when we round our party up tomorrow down between Nocatee and Hull. "'And only to think!' exclaimed Sidney excitedly next morning, while the three were waiting for Mrs. Conant to join them in the car. "'Only to think if Bernice hadn't just happened to catch that glimpse of Mrs. Jerry yesterday at Bartow, we'd all be on the wrong track now, bowling over to the East Coast and giving Jerry all the chance in the world to recover and make a getaway on the other side of the glades. We'd probably never have found him. It's very often it just happens that rescue the situation in an affair like this, remarked Mr. Treadwell. 
but it certainly was more than fortunate that Bernice should have made that particular discovery when she did. I believe we would have had a most difficult time in locating Jerry if she hadn't. He would have had all the opportunity in the world to escape, and as I fully believe we shall straighten out the whole matter today, perhaps, Bernice, you had better explain the situation a bit to your mother while we're driving there. She'll be sure to be bewildered by this singular change in plans, and it isn't fair to keep her in the dark any longer. We may even have to give up this expedition for the present and return to Jasper. But I promise you, should all go well, we will certainly take that trip down to the East Coast later." During the drive that followed, Bernice did as Mr. Treadwell had requested, and retailed as much as she could pack into the comparatively short interval of the curious train of circumstances that had led up to their present quest. Mrs. Conan was too much astonished over the singular affair to make much comment, but she soon grew as excited as the others at the prospect of the outcome of this chase and the solution of the perplexing problem. Halfway between Nocatee and Hull they found the crossroads mentioned by Mrs. Jerry, with the orange grove at one side and the pine stretch on the left. Into this they turned and ran bumpingly along, an uneven road through a wilderness of tall Georgia pines, their slim trunks bare of foliage or branches for twenty-five or thirty feet till they feathered out, at the top, into the masses of ten and twelve-inch needles that marked this species. The ground beneath was sand as white as driven snow, carpeted only by brown pine needles. The air was hot and sweet, with the heady odor of pine. "'So far so good,' cried Mr. Treadwell. "'It's just as she described it. Now, if she hasn't repented of her confidence and informed Jerry of our impending visit, we're all set. The only thing I fear is that she might have regretted telling me what she did.' "'There's a place now,' whispered Sidney, as the car rounded a bend in the road. "'The little old house with the four banana trees in front.' It was a typical Florida farmhouse gray, weather-worn, and probably unknown to paint since it was built. The veranda overflowed with great tubs of luxuriant ferns and growing plants, and the doors and windows were wide to every breeze and innocent of either screening or drapery. All leaned forward eagerly to verify the situation, and just as Mr. Treadwell brought the car to a stop in front of the house, from the open door there appeared on the veranda a slim little figure. Delight herself, and at the sight of the car she caught her hand to her mouth. Bernice had leapt out of the car even before it came to a stop, and in another instant she was on the veranda grasping Delight by both hands. An old cracker woman with a weather-beaten brown face half hidden by a faded blue sunbonnet came out of the door and stared at them curiously. Delight! Bernice! leapt from them simultaneously in suppressed tones that conveyed volumes more than the simple names. Those in the car watched the scene without moving to mar it by a single word, scarcely by a deep-drawn breath. "'Oh, how'd you come here? How'd you know?' breathed the light, and then, "'He's sick in there. He will be very angry.' The thought seemed to distress her, and then she became aware for the first time of strangers in the car, Mrs. Conant and Mr. Treadwell. "'But who are these?' she questioned in surprise and alarm. "'Delight,' whispered Bernice, "'it be too difficult to explain to you all that has happened while we stay here. Come out to the car, won't you? I want you to meet my mother and Mr. Treadwell, 
and we'll try to explain to you there all about it. Very shyly and reluctantly, the girl allowed herself to be led through the yard and out to the car, and was there presented to the two whom she had not yet encountered. And while she sat, crouched between Bernice and Mrs. Conant, Mr. Treadwell very quietly and gently explained to her the object of their mission. He had neither the time nor was it his intention to explain all at that moment. On many points Delight was as completely mystified as were the others. But his search for Jerry and the curious circumstances linking his quest with that of the two cousins he enlarged upon, exonerating them from all appearance of having broken their promise to her. And so, he ended, you'll see it's very important for me to have a little interview with your Uncle Jerry. Will this be possible, do you think, at present? How sick is he? He's in bed. He could not move hardly. He had a fever, too, she tried to explain. But he's a little better today. He got up this morning, but he's very weak. He's been sitting on the back porch where it's shady. She did not finish her explanation. There was a shuffling sound on the front porch, and out of the door crept Jerry, holding feebly to any support to assist his stumbling progress. The sun had got round to the back of the house, and he had come to the front where it was now shady and cool. For a moment he did not notice the party on the roadside. Then he looked up. In all her life Bernice had never witnessed anything so tragic as the look that sprang into his eyes. The look of a trapped animal, terror-ridden, despairing. Groping for one of the decrepit chairs he sat down heavily, as Mr. Treadwell sprang out of the car and came toward him. "'You got me,' he muttered. "'Thought I'd give you the slip, but you got me, "'or I can't do a mortal thing.'" End of chapter 15